0: Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. A little boy was sick on Palm Sunday, and he stayed home from church with his mother, and his father returned from church holding a palm branch. The little boy was curious, and he asked, Why do you have that palm branch, Dad? Well, you see, the father replied, When Jesus came into town, everybody waved palm branches to honor him, so we got palm branches today. little boy replied, oh, shucks. The one Sunday I miss is the Sunday Jesus shows up. (laughs) Now, I got to tell you, one of the challenges of being a pastor for 37 years is what do you have new to say on those Holidays where we read the same scripture, your Palm Sundays and your Easter's, your Holy Thursday, your Christmas Eve, Advent. I mean, we have visited these over and over and over. So I got to tell you, some people today, and we talked about this a couple of Palm Sundays ago, there were actually two processions that happened on the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem. The Jewish believers the Jewish people, were actually having a procession to bring the Paschal Lamb into Jerusalem. And there's a spot where they believe that Jesus and his Palm Sunday procession actually crossed or ran next to the Paschal Lamb. And that's where they had the conversation with the high priest who said, "Uh, you know, you're sort of interrupting our Passover procession here. And we're going to get to the stones cried out in a second. So some people are going to talk about the true Paschal Lamb entering Jerusalem. We're not going to talk about that. Some people are going to talk about, I, I, I hope you're listening to the news and you're hearing about all these carjackings that are happening in Philadelphia. Well, there was a donkey jacking, a donkey jacking in the scripture today, Right? They ran up and they took a donkey that did not belong to them. And the only reason that they got away with it is they said, the Lord has need of it. We're going to come back to that. But there was a donkey jacking that took place. Now, there's also imagery. It's interesting. My son and I, the pastor, were talking about this. Some of the lectionaries stop where we did, and some add the next section, which we... Again, talked about last year. And the next section is when Jesus oversees Jerusalem. And he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that I could gather you under my arms like a mother hen gathers her chicks. And there's a spot on what they call Palm Sunday Road that has Dominis Flavi, the tears of the master. And they actually built a chapel with a window that you can see all of Jerusalem. I'm sure you've got one around here. We have one in Mullica Hill. When Vicky and I are driving into Woodbury, there's this one hill where you can see all of Philadelphia, the skyline. We're like, what, 12, 13 miles away, but there's that one moment, it doesn't last long, at the top of the hill. Well, there's that. We're not preaching on that today either. There's even a group of pastors who will preach on the donkey. There's several poems from the point of view of the donkey carrying Jesus. Now, you're probably saying, well, doc, it said colt in the scripture. Why do you keep saying donkey? Well, actually guys who are going to complain about that. I am not going to complain about that. But the word in the Greek means a young something. It could be a donkey or a colt. Now, in one of the other gospels, it very clearly says donkey. This one says colt. And people are going to make jokes about, did he have like one leg over the donkey and one leg over the horse and sort of wobble? No, this one means either or. So to keep in scripture, we're going to stick with the donkey. But yes, there's people who are going to talk about the humbleness of entering on a donkey and the majesty of entering on a horse. We're not talking about that either. What we are going to talk about are two key phrases that really jumped out at me this week. And they are these. The Lord has need of it. And the other one is, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Did it ever occur to you that God needs you? We tell people all the time that God needs us, but did it ever occur to you that God has need of you or depends on you or entrusts things to you? And I have a few examples for you. Adam and Eve were told to take care of the garden, right? And I don't, I'm not really sure what that means because it, Genesis makes it very clear that the weeds didn't come until after the fall, Now, I happen to know a gardener. I I live with her, and if she could have a garden with no weeds, she would be a very happy gardener, right? So, So I'm not exactly sure what they had to do other than pick their favorite fruit and eat it, except for that one, but that's a different sermon for a different day. But they were entrusted with the care of the garden. Noah was entrusted with the building, of an ark that was going to contain, think about this, every living creature, a man and a woman, so that there'd be more when they got off the ark. Moses and Aaron were entrusted with leading the Jewish people out of Egypt. And some figures put it at two to three million. Imagine that procession. Two to three million people, these two guys were put in charge of leading out of Egypt to the promised land. Moses was entrusted with the tablets of the Ten Commandments. In fact, it was on last night. Did anybody watch Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments? But we all know that he sort of dropped the ball with the first set, and he had to go back and get a second set. But God entrusted, depended, needed him to deliver those. He depended on a a young teenage girl to carry our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He entrusted Joseph to care for Mary and Jesus, even when they had to go to Egypt in exile. He entrusted, now this is the end of the story, but we know the end, we can jump ahead. He entrusted the apostles to go to preach and to baptize, or we wouldn't be here in this fellowship today. He even trusted an unknown owner of a donkey colt to just trust the words, the Lord has need of it. So the first question we really need to ask today is, what does the Lord need from you? Well, we're going to revisit that thought in a second. I, I need to move on to our second thought for the day, which was, the stones would cry out. Now, I have a friend who is a pastor, and he preached a sermon on A rock concert. And he said he apologized to the Rolling Stones, but if there was a rock concert, these would be the lyrics that the rocks would sing Your king is here, your savior is here, give your heart to him. But in my experience, stones don't cry out, and donkeys don't speak, and the lame don't walk. And the deaf don't hear and the blind don't see until they meet Jesus. So then why would Jesus say to the Jewish leaders, the stones would cry out? Well, then I had to ask myself, did he literally mean that the stones would cry out or was he using what we call hyperbole? Hyperbole is exaggeration for effect. We've all done it. Anybody who's had children has used it, and anybody who works with children has heard it. <laughs> oh,, we've been standing here for a million years, right? But, so did he mean that the stones would actually cry out, Or did he mean that there was a metaphor going on here? Well, what do you know about rocks? Well? I have a cousin and she has a weather rock. Have you seen these? It usually hangs on your front porch. There's a piece of string and there's a smooth rock tied up in the string. And there's a little laminate piece of paper stuck to your door and it says, This is a weather rock. If the rock is wet, it's raining. If the rock casts a shadow, it's sunny. If the rock casts no shadow, it's cloudy. If the rock is white, it's snowing. If the rock is warm, it's sunny. If you can't see the rock, it's foggy. If the rock is missing, there was a tornado. If the rock is swinging violently and is wet, there is a hurricane. And if you can feel the rock but not see it, it must be night. If you see two rocks, seek medical attention immediately. Now, the reason that's funny is we know that rocks don't move. In fact, I often say to my students and Vicky's heard me say this to kids. I've been saying it for years. You have the listening skills of a rock. But if you tell a rock to stay, it listens. Which brings me to the other thing I know about rocks. Who had a pet rock in the 70s? 1975 they came out. It came in a little carrying case. It has holes in it so the rock could breathe. It said had some paper hay in there. It had a booklet for the care and training of your rock. It could stay and it could heal. It could protect you if you threw it at whatever was attacking you. And the reason these oh and you can still buy them on Amazon for twenty nine ninety five, the original pet rock. But the reason these are funny is because we all know rocks don't move. Rocks don't talk or shout. Rocks don't listen. And rocks are like the church today. We'll just let that one simmer a little bit. Rocks are like the church today. Some people refer to us as the frozen chosen or pew warmers. Some of us come to church to consume rather than to build. Sometimes the church feels more like an audience or sometimes the church is just silent. In fact, I was talking to my son. We We've been comparing sermon notes in preparation recently. I said rocks are stationary, sedentary, and silent. Wouldn't that be a shame if the church of Jesus Christ was described that way? It's often most quoted by pastors today when they say that the church's job is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. So I had to look it up because I'm that kind of guy. That actually comes from a humorist named Finley Peter Dunn. And he was talking about newspapers. He said the job of a newspaper is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. But we've appropriated it for the church. I've heard it many times. But that's where we revisit our first rhetorical question. What does God need from you? Is God asking you to cry out? Is God asking you to celebrate? Is God asking you to care or commit? Well, what does this look like? Well, we talked about it a little bit last week with sermons you can see. That would be the actions. The church needs to be the body of Christ. And I know about your body, but mine likes to move. It doesn't always move well. In fact, uh, there's a section in the New Opera where the director called out dance break. And he told us we had to get to an assigned spot and we had to dance. And I'm thinking, what can I do with this big thing on my foot? So for those of you that are listening, you can't see this, but I'm doing the mashed potato because that's all arms. And I'm singing at the top of my lungs and I'm, I'm limping and mashed potato to my new spot. But the body of Christ has to move. We have to look for sermons you can see. The scripture says, how will they know unless somebody tell them? We have to make the message hearable. Just doing the right thing is not enough. We need to be able to account for why we're doing the right thing. And again, we're back to resources. Ministry costs money. Ministry costs time. Ministry is sometimes inconvenient. And yet ministry depends on each of our individual talents. And the Methodist Church, when you join the church, they ask you if you will pledge your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service. I have a friend who says, will you pledge your prayers, your presence, and your pesos? But some of us are holding back our resources. The Lord has need of it, need of it. I'm sorry to say that ministry is not one and done. I got to tell you, I wish that I could have preached a sermon when I was 24 years old. In fact, I'll tell you, the very first sermon I ever preached was on the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to set your way back machine, because that was exactly when that grumpy old lady would open up the Wendy's hamburger and she would shout, Where's the beef? And my sermon was called, Where's the Fruit? And I really thought for sure that people would hear that message and they would give their hearts to Jesus and the church would become a a new and better place because I preached. It didn't happen. 37 years later, I'm still preaching. You're still listening. The body of Christ is still being called to move. So like the little boy at the beginning of the sermon... I want you to think about three things. The first one is this. Jesus is here. The second thing is this. Jesus needs, depends, and entrusts his kingdom to us. And finally, Jesus calls out to us to cry out, call out, care for, and commit. Cry out joyfully with praise. Who wants to go to a church without good music? Call out. We need to call out the sin in ourselves and in our society. The church is silent too long. We need to care for the fallen and the sick. And we need to commit to the kingdom for the long haul. Two hymns come to mind as I was preparing this sermon. The first one is about our Lord and Savior. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a guilty stain. He washed it white as snow. But Palm Sunday isn't about Jesus. It's about our response to Jesus. Which is why I picked our last hymn, All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. And the chorus says, I surrender all. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, on this Palm Sunday needs you, the church, to cry out. Amen.